Well, tonight, um, what we're going to be talking about are some of the hard sayings of Paul, which really aren't that hard, but um, there's a ministry out there called Triumph and Truth. Triumph in or in truth? No, I don't know, but um, G. Stephen Simons. Now, if you want something interesting to listen to, um, go listen to his testimony on YouTube. I'm going to blow your mind. He is a messianic teaching pastor, basically like what you know we're teaching here. However, you know, a Torah follower or whatever you'd call him, but he is also the brother-in-law of drum roll, please, Joel Olstein. Yeah. <laughs> Fascinating testimony. It no, you you'd never know it had you not listened to that particular message. G. Stephen Simons. Now, what's fascinating about it is this: he had a mega church just like Joel Olstein. I don't remember how many thousand people went to his church, and basically he went to Israel. Um, he began seeing the truth that we've been teaching here for the last year and a half. And he would go and teach it in Bible studies and whatnot. And he said, eventually, my conscience just would not allow me to continue. And he said, through all of these events that took place, the bank, God was just working. The bank was wanting the property back. I don't remember all the details, but bottom line is they had, I don't remember how many acres, 135 or 200 and some acres. They had like busing people into the, the church, a huge mega church. And he basically, because of all these illegal things that the bank and the renter, whoever it was, was doing, and like I said, I don't remember the details, he just said, we're just going to give him the keys back. And so he literally walked away from a megachurch to go start a church that followed a biblical model. And when he did that, uh, it's just kind of neat, the testimony. There were reporters and everybody there when on the last Sunday service, they were expecting all kinds of you know things. And... Uh, they had special shirts made up and whatnot, and they just basically walked out and they clapped and I don't know. You, you need to go listen to his testimony because it's fascinating. But this is the kind of thing that's happening all around the world, guys. That Zechariah 8.23, I do believe, is being lived out. We're seeing more and more people just not being able to deny the fact of what scripture says. And I thought this is going to be a good lead-in before we do Galatians. Because Galatians is going to hit some of these hard sayings of Paul that the church uses to say that this is legalism and we're free from the law, we don't have to do that anymore, all of these kinds of things. Now, again, when I say you don't have to do that anymore, I'm not talking about for salvation. You'll never be good enough to be saved by your own merits. It is by grace and grace alone that you are saved. But it is because you are saved by grace that you better be doing what God has wanted you to do. 
That's what we do. Now, this is, uh, I think, an, an important concept to grasp before we continue any further in Galatians or anywhere else. Did Jesus, Yeshua, teach something differently than Paul? Because we have to ask ourselves that question. Did Paul come about all of a sudden and say, all right, all of the teachings of Jesus that he taught the disciples and everybody else, he changed that under the, by the authority of Jesus? Did he do it? Well, that's what we're going to look at here. Let me show you first, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, by the way, uh, of the 27 books in the New Testament, I'm just going off of memory here, I don't remember, but I think Paul wrote like 16 or 17 of them, or maybe 19, I can't remember, but most of it is written by Paul. So it says, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. So, today we see many saying, I follow Paul. That was happening in the New Testament period. Some say, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. And he said, but you should just be following Christ. But yet today, there is this kind of unwritten mentality that Paul is the guy that, you know, kind of changed things. If you got rid of all of Paul's statements in Galatians, Ephesians, uh, you know, some of these other things, uh, Romans, I don't think you could even hold a candle up to saying that, you know, the, the law has been taken away. Now, I don't believe you can even using Paul's words, but nonetheless, this is kind of the unwritten belief in Christianity today. And people say, Jesus, when he came, he was born under the law. So he taught the disciples under the law. And yet now, we're not under the law. Therefore, we follow Paul, not Yeshua. Now, they won't go that far to say that last little statement, but in essence, that's how we live out what we're believing. Jesus, born under the law, taught the disciples the law. Paul comes along and he changes everything that Yeshua did. And we follow Paul. That's the idea. Even though I don't think you're going to get people to admit it in the way I just said it, that's exactly what they believe. We are here in this verse in Peter warned that people would and will and did twist the words of Paul. But notice what kind of people they are. They're untaught. In other words, you're not going to know the scriptures well. You're going to be those that will isolate verses and pick them out to apply it to your life. But they're untaught and unstable. So, what does it mean to be untaught and unstable? Kind of gave it away there a little bit, but I think it, it means to not know your word fully. 
to take things by itself rather than in the context of the whole book itself and the whole Bible itself, including the Old Testament. So let me ask you, do you think things are better or worse now than they were in the days of Paul when he was around? Do you think that there have been any more corruptions to God's word in the last 2,000 years than there was in the time immediately after Jesus' departure? I would say yeah. I mean, it's just like that game of telephone that you whisper something by the time it gets to the end. It is so corrupt and convoluted that it doesn't even resemble what it was to begin with. And Paul warns, uh, the disciples are constantly warning about those corruptions that were there even in Paul's day. So, if this twisting has been gone on for 2,000 years, how do we get back to the, the truth? How do you get back from that whole game of telephone? How do you know? Well, you have to go all the way back to the very first person who started the sentence to begin with, right? And then you hear what the original was. Well, that's what we want to do tonight. We want to go all the way back, and so I'm just asking you, begging you to as much as possible tonight, dump out everything you've ever thought, learned, believed, and let's just let Scripture speak for itself. Not your upbringing, not your denominational you know, background, not your emotional desires and hopes and dreams, but let's just go all the way back to the source, and let's see what it says here tonight. And let that word challenge you. Acts chapter 20 verse 27 says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I take this verse seriously. that we are to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased by his grace, by his mercy, by his blood, by his everything. He did the work. And now we are to pr proclaim and lift up that truth. But I want you to see we are being held responsible for what the word says. Well, in verse 29 it continues and it says, For I know this, that after my departure... Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up. Now I want you to see, where are they going to come from? Primarily from yourselves. From the church itself. Paul, the scriptures warn us that it is going to be coming from within. And I believe that's exactly what we're seeing, is that things are coming from within. I've said this before, in, in a ministry that teaches creation, my, by far, hands down, not even a close comparison, biggest enemy has been people within the church itself. And it's not the atheists, it's not the diehard evolutionists, the Richard Dawkins, the, the uh, Bill Nye's, it's from within the church itself. This is what the Bible warns us would happen. Now Paul said, after my departure, and he was concerned. He was warning you, guys, be ready. I'm, I'm doing my best to protect and to guide and to keep you on track, but when I leave, I'm telling you, the Spirit has warned me that this is happening, so you need to be on your guard. 
And I think that the church today has done a very poor job of keeping the gates closed. It's been willy-nilly, come one, come all, everybody shares their testimony, everybody shares their belief, their little gas issues that they're having, whatever it is, they share it. He goes on and he says, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Boy, if that isn't something we see happening. One of the biggest reasons uh, pastors in many churches today will not preach truth is because they're afraid that they're going to lose followers. They're, they're going to lose money. They're going to lose tithers. And so we can't teach the full counsel of God. We'll teach some things, and it'll be good, and it'll sound nice, and it might even be actually all good things, not even bad things. But we won't address things that will be offensive. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. You can just see his passion for this and his concern. And I mean, he, this isn't just a little flippant thing he's saying. This is something he said, day and night, I have been warning, I have been pleading with you. Don't fall away. Don't let these deceptions get in your heart. And I, I got to be honest, guys, that I'm, I'm having a, I don't know what the word is, a zeal in my heart for the church today, for all of you to see and just to take a step back and say, stop, I don't want what the world has given me. I want Jesus and Jesus only, meaning the word. Not this, you know, there's churches that preach just Jesus only, which means we're not going to talk about the law. That's not what I'm talking about. 1 John 2.18 says, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. In other words, uh, there, even in Paul's day, there were many people who would deny the truth of Scripture and the divinity of Christ, all of those things. It says, and, and by the way, what, what defines an antichrist, and I'm failing to bring up the verse, but it says in Scripture that ultimately it's lawlessness. That is the spirit of the antichrist. Lawlessness. That's the church today. Lawlessness. It says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. So, this is a huge foundation. You need to, you got to grasp this. But you have an anointing. These other people, these lawless ones, he says they were not of us, but you are. Why? What makes you different? You have an anointing. You have the Spirit of God in you. And it is through that Spirit, through the Word of God, 
that he is going to keep us from getting off track. It's the only thing. Your emotions will fail you every time. Your heart will fail you every time. The only thing that can keep you on track is the Word of God and the Spirit of God working through that Word. And so notice again that this twisting of Scripture happened immediately. And it's only been going on for 2,000 years now. Jude 1.3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He's exhorting you to contend. Are you guys contenders? To be a contender means you have to be involved in the fight. You have to be standing up for truth, defending truth, proclaiming truth. I would say most of Christianity today is along for the ride. We're spectators. We're just watching the fight go on. Whatever happens, happens. I'm going to keep it personal for me. But he says, no, we are to contend for this. We're to stand up for truth. If your church is preaching about social justice, BLM, or any of this other stuff, then you ought to be contending for the faith, and we cannot let this go unaddressed. It's time to wake up, folks. I'm telling you, we are coming upon a, a season, maybe an end time season, and it's only going to get worse by the month, by the week, and you better be contending. And to get ready, you're going to need to be in your word and you need to be walking after God. You have to get in the game. What does that mean? Follow after God. Walk in His footsteps. Be obedient. And say, you know what? It's time for me to follow God wholeheartedly. Not just love Him and then go live my life the way I want to live my life, but to love Him and to be willing to surrender and give all to Him. That's going to be contending. So, this was happening in the first century already, we see that. But it still applies to us today. People who are turning the grace of God into lewdness. In other words, basically, and I can't remember now, but I saw what that word lewdness meant too in the, in the Greek. And I want to say it, it had to do with basically lawlessness as well. Thank you. A license for immorality, which would be lawlessness. So, what is lawlessness? Who gets to define what is lawless? He who defines what the law is, which is God. You have no right to tell me or anybody else what is right or wrong. God does. 
You think homosexuality is okay to practice that as long as this, or, or abortion's okay, you know, if the mother's life is in danger, or all these other lies that are out there, you're wrong. The Bible defines what the law is. God defines what the law is. That's important. It's important to just let that simmer in your heart and say, all right, am I willing to let God define what truth is or do I get to do it myself? We'll visit that later maybe. 2 Timothy 3.1 But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Any of those ring a bell for even the church today? I'm not talking about you know, the church of Satan. I'm talking about Christianity today. Does any of that ring a bell? The form of godliness was described by what? A whole list of these sins. When it goes having a form of godliness, it was describing all of that. That's kind of summing up all of those things that he had just listed there. It's for the church. This is not for the ungodly. He's speaking to the church here. Now, there's nothing new under the sun. That's what Scripture says. Solomon said that in Ecclesiastes. This is exactly what was happening in the days of Jeremiah when Jesus said, These people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They can worship me and say the right things, go to church, and then they come and they leave the temple or the tabernacle and they go and they sacrifice their kids on the altar. There are Christians who go to church on Sunday and go have an abortion on Monday. Sacrificing their kids on the altar of pleasure, the altar of this world, the altar of the lie that says, well, you know, I, I, you know whatever, there's a hundred different lies that are out there to justify murder and killing our children. We do not want to have a form of godliness. And guys, I think that when we say that we're Christians, but we live our lives the way we think we want, you know, I'm free in Christ and whatever, then, then that's a form of godliness. But we're not letting the creator, the lawgiver, define what lawlessness is. It goes on, verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives a gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, a few years back, I thought, I'm done writing books. I'm done making videos. We don't need another video. We don't need another book. We have more, we've got access to more knowledge than ever in the history of mankind. We're always learning, but yet somehow never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Why? Because we have a form of godliness, and we interpret everything based on 
what we think, what we've been brought up to believe, what, what our heart desires, what our experiences are, rather than letting God's word be the standard, period. Now, as Jonas and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. So, by the way, what I find interesting about this, Janus and Jambres, well, they were opposed who? Moses. What's Moses known for? I say Moses, what do you think? Law. Okay, not to say he was the giver of the law. God was the giver of the law. But nonetheless, it's just an interesting parallel here that these people were opposing the law. Bottom line is, Moses as well as a picture of Christ, right? Who is the lawgiver. He is indeed the very law himself. The word of God. And so... In opposing Moses, in opposing the law, you're opposing Christ. You become a man of lawlessness. Verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will not suffer persecution. Ah, uh, yeah. I was hoping you were going to like, what, what, what? No. But that's kind of what we feel today, isn't it? If we follow Jesus, Jesus is going to bless us with peaceful life for the most part, money, prosperity, gospel. No, he says, you... If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will, not maybe, not might, will suffer persecution. God has promised us trials and hardships. Daniel Joseph, uh, I think last week we had talked about that, that when the expectations of the people were not met, that's when they grumbled against God. And today he hit another home run talking about this in the sense that Jude talks about this as well, that when, when persecution comes, that's when the grumblers and the complainers rise up. In every case. And it's interesting that as we're starting to see things happen in the church today, or I should say in the world today, persecution may be on the horizon, a mandated uh, you know, jabbing of the vaccination, whatever the case might be. You know what we're seeing? A rising up in the church of the grumblers and complainers and those who just are lawless in, in essence, not, not attaching lawless to the vaccination. There's other issues with that, which by the way, this next week, I am going to be putting on Patreon a message about the vaccination. I'm putting one together here now. Um, if you don't have Patreon, I'll just get it to you. But we have to learn from this because I'm telling you that I have seen, he says, false prophets, just they rise up like crazy when trouble comes. 
That's exactly what we've seen in the churches today. Exactly. I feel like I've seen more evangelifish preachers say, well, it's not the end of the world or anything, than I have in a decade. Yeah. I, I, I've seen more exposing of false church prophets in the church than in my entire life in one year. I, it's, it's crazy. What it's saying is we have to test all things, even church doctrines. Even what I am teaching you here tonight, you had better test it with the Word of God. Because I'll tell you, I pray all the time, Lord, do not let me teach false doctrine. Do not let me lead people astray. If I do, silence me. I don't care if it means giving me a stroke so that I can't speak. Do not let me teach false teachings. Do not let me lead people astray. I am. Well, is it James where, where he says, not many of you should presume to be teachers? Okay, because you will be judged more harshly. I will be held responsible if I am teaching you garbage. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect and don't make little mistakes here and there. Well, I just made one here tonight as well, but it happens all the time. But I better be, with the foundations of the doctrines, I better be pretty well on track. Now again, I'm not saying that because maybe I have an understanding of something that's a little different. But if I do and I see gray, you know, room for different interpretations, I'll say that. I don't see that here tonight on what I'm teaching you tonight. I don't see room for interpretation. Okay? Moving on. It says this. In verse 13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. These are warnings that I don't think we're heeding today. This is why in Corinthians it says, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Don't just, well, set a prayer, I'm in, and now yeah, I'm going to go live my life. No, you are to constantly be examining yourself, testing to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Because imposters are going to be where? In the church. The road to Emmaus, when Jesus was, you know, teaching that great sermon on the road to Emmaus. From the law and the prophets, those things concerning himself, it says. It's about Jesus. So if you think the Old Testament is law, New Testament is gospel, and Jesus, you're messed up. That is a church doctrine that is from the pits of hell. The Old Testament is about Jesus from the law and the prophets, those things concerning himself. So, we're, we've been warned. 1 Timothy 6.3 here. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent on wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, into the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, 
withdraw yourself. This is the second time we've had a command. If you've got somebody in the church that is living lawlessness, a lawless life, withdraw from them because they will corrupt you. Guys, this is important. It doesn't mean you can't evangelize. It doesn't mean you can't love those that are ungodly. But you better not be chumming around with them. These are not the people you choose to hang out with and just have fun and pretend that, all right, we'll agree to disagree. He says withdraw from them. So what we're seeing is this. Anyone who teaches something other than Paul's word or Yeshua's word is wrong and you are to run. That's what it's saying. Run. In essence, all sound doctrine is going to begin with Yeshua, where it originated. Remember that whole telephone. You've got to go back to the first person. So, let me ask you, if Paul would teach anything different than what Jesus taught, should we withdraw from Paul? Absolutely. So if Paul changed what Jesus came and taught his disciples, we're supposed to run. In essence, is that not what the church has said? That Paul has changed everything? Oh, really? Interesting. And yet it's cons- yet it's consistent with Paul's other words in First Corinthians five. If anyone calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral, greedy, and adulterer, a whole list of sins with such a man, do not even eat. Or yeah, Psalms. David even said that I, I do not. He says I did not associate. I, that's not the word he used, but with the the wicked. We're not supposed to. Yeah, that is interesting. I didn't realize that. Well, the point being here, guys, is Paul's teachings cannot disagree with Yeshua's teaching. Can't. It has to agree. In any doctrine that's going to say that they disagree or are contradictory... That, you know, when Jesus was here first and then Paul changed it later, has to be wrong. So, if you hear something that Paul teaches that's different than what Jesus taught, there's one of two things is going on. Okay, you're either misunderstanding it or Paul was wrong. And you better run from him. I don't believe Paul was wrong. I believe Paul has the inspired word of God. Therefore, I think if you think something is different than what Jesus was teaching, different than even what the Old Testament teaches, then I think you have a misunderstanding. Jesus was the ultimate Torah teacher. Was he not? Absolutely, never broke it once. If he did break the Torah in any way, shape, or form, he could not have been the Messiah. Which is one reason why the Jews of today never listen to a single Gentile because you're trying to teach them that your Messiah broke the Torah. 
They've been teaching. Jesus broke the Torah all the time. We're free. We're not under the law. And so they look at that and they say, then that's not the Messiah. Get away from me, you evildoer. I will have nothing to do with you. I will run from you. Just like the Old Testament told me to do. Right? Even if it's in the Grand Canyon and they're going uphill. (laughs) Made it a little easier for them. So, withdraw from these people. If we ever think Paul's teaching something different than Yeshua, then, like I said, we are the ones that are wrong, not Paul. Or at least our interpretation at least must be wrong. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, what are those? Now, a lot of times you're going to hear people say, well, those are just the Ten Commandments. But let's just run with that for a moment. If that were true, they're still not even doing that. Remember the Sabbath. I'm legalistic because I try and keep the Sabbath. <coughs> yeah, we got games, you know. We don't even keep those ten. Now, again, the, I'm not talking about being able to be saved because you do this. I'm going to say that a number of times yet. But I'm talking about a heart to follow after those laws. I don't believe, though, that he's just saying that only applies to the Ten Commandments. I believe he's saying that applies to the entire Old Testament. Do I understand how that all works? No, I do not. I'll be the first to admit. All I know is that I'm learning. And as I learn, I continue to have more revealed to me and understand it in in deeper ways. We're going to When we go through Galatians, we're going to touch some of those things that the church is going to clearly say, oh, you don't have to do that anymore. Paul just got rid of that. You're going to see that's not true. So, if you love Jesus, you're going to have a desire to obey the commandments. And if you obey, you know what happens? It says you'll get the Spirit who helps you to love Jesus the way you're supposed to love Him. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will do what? Give you another helper. No wonder the church is so sick. If we don't obey, how do you get the helper? It says, if you love me, keep my commandments, as a result of keeping my commandments, having a heart to follow after me, He says, then I'm going to give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Who is this helper? The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. In other words... I know there's some churches, though, that teach how to get it. Yeah. Yes. I think it's only five steps. Yeah, yeah, we can have a five-step program how to get the Holy Spirit, but that's not scriptural. What's scriptural is, love me, keep my commandments, you, you're, you're my child, I, just, I love you, I'm going to send you a helper because I'm going to be there for you. In other words, if I'd sum this up, what it's saying is this. Guys, if you love Jesus, obey him. And you know what he does? Is he sends you the Holy Spirit to help you obey him. Because you can't. You cannot obey Him. 
but you have access to the helper who will work in you and through you to obey. He didn't leave you on your own to try and figure this out. He says, here, here are some rules. Do that, and you're going to have access to the power of that spirit. There's a blessing in obedience. And it's not salvation. Okay, well, it's because of salvation. He goes on, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Again, keeps my commandments. We've had the, the telephone game that has made that, well, that just simply means love your neighbor and be kind, and that's it. If you do that, then you're keeping God's commandments. So you see, we have defined God's commandments. We did not allow God to define them. We defined them. I think the Jewish people had it right. When you were in the synagogue, the, the ungodly Gentiles didn't just get to come in. No, yeah. You had to be obedient. You had, they had to go through a whole process, like the, the proselytes and everything, before they could even get into the temple. Yep. Like it wasn't just like, everybody come in. No, you've got to learn about this first. You have to have understanding. You have to have wisdom. You have to have somebody teaching you all the time before you're even like let through the first gate. You didn't have like a special parking spot? No, there was no visitor's parking spot at the temple. Yeah, certainly no bussing them in. You see, guys, this is what I'm saying is that I've always said this for years and years and years. The church was never to be an evangelistic arm. You are the evangelistic arm. But, but church is for the believers to come together and be fed. This isn't for the unbeliever here. That's not what this is for tonight. It's for those who are seeking after God, want to grow in Him, and then this, throughout your week, you're supposed to be going and being the evangelistic arm. The church was never intended to be that, but that's what we've made it. But the biblical model is not a seeker-sensitive thing. Depends on how you look at it. The church is a hospital for the sick in the sense that I'm the sick ones. Okay? Jesus said, I did not come. You know, I, I came for the sick, in essence. Yeah, I came for the lost sheep of Israel. You already know that you're sick. Yeah. If you don't know you're sick, good point. You already know that you're sick. I know that I'm sick, so I have to go to the hospital because I know that I'm sick. Yeah. Not for those to be... Diagnosed. And it sounds nice. It sounds nice because we are emotionally compassionate for those people. Great. We should be. But that's not what this is for. I love this part in the blue. Yeah, not a great color up there, that's for sure. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Who does Jesus manifest himself to? Those who are obedient, not to those who are disobedient. So you can have as many classes as you want to feel the manifestation of God, the presence of God, the whatever of the ungodly and unholy spirit if you want. 
but that's all you're going to get. Obedience. Yeah, well, no, I said unholy spirit. So obedience isn't for salvation. It's how you get to know Jesus. And guys, this is what I'm saying is, I've never been more free in my life than when I understood the commandments of God and started trying to keep the commandments of God. Because I wasn't doing it to be saved. I was doing it because I have a heart and a desire for Him. And I'm no longer condemned when I fail. But God, in knowing my heart, knowing my desire, has manifested Himself to me through the Word. I have said this a hundred times, and there are many of you here who have been keeping the commandments of God to the best of your ability for uh, some time now. And every single one of them, every one of them will tell you that when they started doing this, they learned more in six months than they learned in their entire life. Why? Because, as you can't read, he will manifest himself to you. Do you want to know more about God? Surrender. Give it up, guys. Just give it up. Stop playing the game of churchianity and follow Christ. Yes his, yes, his commandments are not burdensome. It's like Noah saying, reading the Bible through in a month. One of the things that, he, that struck him, and correct me if I'm wrong, was how he thought there was all these huge lists, but he says, really, it's pretty simple. There's not that many. It's not that difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So, John 14, 22. Judas, not the one that hung himself, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? So what does that mean? What we just kind of read here, I'm going to manifest myself to you if you obey. What's that mean? How are you going to do that, Lord? And he says, and not to the world. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Not your doctrines, his word. His doctrines. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. How does that not want to make you obey? He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father, Father's who sent me. Oh, wait. Jesus' words is the Father. Wait. I thought, Father, that's Old Testament stuff. Jesus is this New Testament God, you know, that's all lovey-dovey. And then you got God the Father, the Old Testament, the mean guy. No. Jesus' words, the Father's words, are the same because they are the same. So, in essence, he's answering Judas and says that if you obey, I manifest myself to you. If you don't, I won't. Pretty simple. So, 
I've been going through all of this, and I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but the reason is, is I wanted you to see the foundation that Jesus laid so that you could understand, first of all, if Paul teaches anything different. You have to understand what Jesus taught first. Okay? So let's see. Here, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, Jesus said. Oh, but then Paul later was taught, no, 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 the, the law, that was been taken away. We're no longer under that. Wait a minute. Either you better run from Paul or you're misunderstanding what Paul's saying if you think that he's saying the law is gone. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, that's like a little yod, that little what looks like a comma or an apostrophe in, in Hebrew, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now, last I checked, heaven and earth are still here. That means not one jot or tittle has disappeared from the law of God. So that means not just the Ten Commandments are God's word, but the entire Old Testament is still God's word. Because not one jot, not one tittle, not one rule, not one command, not one thou shalt or shalt not has been removed. Right? These are Jesus' words. Verse 19, that you probably can't read. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments, the least of these commandments, which ones would those be? Probably those that we don't care about, right? The ones that we say, oh, no, those are no longer, you know, not, we want the, the big ones, the big ten. We like those. The other, no, no. The we least like one. Nine. Yeah, the big nine, yeah. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I love this too. Guys, what did I just say before is that the law does not get you to heaven, right? So will those be these Christians who are teaching you that, hey, you just got to keep the Ten Commandments or the Nine Commandments or whatever it is, are they going to be saved? What's it say? They will be least in hell? Yes, it's not the commandments that get you there. It's the heart of Jesus or for Jesus that gets you there. All right? So for all those people who are going to accuse me of being legalistic for doing it, don't catch that, all right? What about those people who say when Jesus came, then he fulfilled it on the cross, so then therefore a jot and tittle can come because it would be fulfilled. But it says, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away. So yes, Jesus did come to fulfill the law for you since you couldn't do it, but he didn't come to get rid of the law. He says, I did not come to abolish it. I came to do it for you. Was that fulfilled meaning at the end of time? At the end of time, what's going to happen? We see there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will be formed in the book of Revelation, right? And at that point, then I think it's, it's not that it's going to even pass away, but it's, it's going to be lived out. I mean, it... Yep. I think that every jot and tittle that you read about in the Old Testament, really, outside of sacrificial things, you know, that is going to be, yeah, it's the standard and you'll be doing it. Okay, we're, I kind of have said it this way for a number of years, probably for 15, 20 years, at least 20 years, 
I feel like I'm in Babylon. There were certain things that when the Israelites were taken to Babylon that they could no longer do. They weren't allowed to keep those commands because they were just, they were prisoners or whatever. They couldn't, in some cases, they were only uh, laws that were in the land. And so they weren't allowed to do it. They just were incapable of it. I think that in the book of Revelation, it talks about come out of her, my people, Babylon. That we are in Babylon and God is calling us to come out of this world, to come out of it. And when we do, then we're going to be allowed and able and empowered to be able to do those things commands. But we have to come out of Babylon. That means come out of the traditions that we've grown up in. Come out of the culture that we have grown up in. So, good question. Um, she'll be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, I'll leave it at that. If Yeshua broke the commands as people say he did, by breaking the Sabbath and so on, which we've talked about that he didn't, and he taught others to do the same, that would make him least in the kingdom of God then, right? Same would be true for Paul. If Paul was teaching you that you could break the least of these commands, then if he was teaching you that you didn't have to keep the Sabbath or that you could eat any kind of food that you wanted, even if it's unclean, then he would be least in the, command, in, in the kingdom of heaven. I don't think I'm going to look at it here tonight, but we see, I think it's in Acts chapter 21, Paul comes to Jerusalem, and there are Jews there, and they say, these people have heard that you are teaching against Moses and the, the commandments of God and the traditions of our people. But to show them that there is no truth to this, we want you to go ahead and do this, this sacrifice thing, not a sin sacrifice. Did Paul do that? Yes, that's why he ends up getting arrested there in Acts 21. So right there, Paul is telling us he was willing to go an extra mile to show the people that he was not teaching that the laws of Moses and customs had been revoked. That's in line with what we're reading here. So, what commandments are, are he, is he talking about here? You know, if you teach the least again, again, the context is going to show us that it isn't just the Ten Commandments, but it's all of Torah. Uh, go back and read that even more in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, don't do this, but I tell you. You've heard it said. Verse 16 of chapter 19 of Matthew. Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, Keep the commandments. Do you want to witness as Jesus witnessed? Who of you would say that to somebody who came and said, oh, what do I need to do to be saved? Keep the commandments. 
Now I know this, what we've grown up with, what our emotions are saying, I, I, I'm sure there's a lot of it just screaming in us right now. No, 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 that can't be right, that can't be right. But did Paul teach anything different than what Jesus taught? No. Here's a guy coming and saying, genuinely, what do I need to do to be saved? And he says, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Starts going through the Ten Commandments, right? And he's going to continue here. But before I get into where he continues, would Jesus lie to this guy? Would he mislead him? Of course not. Would he say, well, this is what you've got to do now, but you know, pretty soon I'm going to change that when Paul comes? No. So I have to ask, have we allowed our culture, our Gentile upbringing to deceive us? in what truth is. Has our bias allowed the, the, the scriptures to be interpreted differently than what Jesus said? Because this is straight from Jesus' mouth himself. It almost sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah. We're not done, but yeah. 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 What he's going to basically say is you've got to get rid of the idol of, uh, an idol out of your heart because I'm not your idol. You'll see. Matthew 19, verse 19 continues, Honor your father and your mother. Just continuing to give a list of the laws. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, All these I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions and he knew he wasn't saved because he couldn't get rid of his idol of money. Remember I've been saying, you guys can't keep the commandments. You'll never be good enough to earn salvation. This guy couldn't be good enough either. What Jesus did is he used the law to show them, to show this guy, you can't be perfect. Jesus knew this. He knew. That he, knew. That he, kept all yep. he knew that this guy, here's a guy who's following me. And this is what I have, I've said this before. This isn't about, you've got to keep the commandments and then you're going to be a good Christian and God's going to bless you and you know, now you have a pr prosperous life. That's not what I'm teaching here. If it was about just keeping the commandments to be in good with Jesus, then this guy had it made. Then the Jews, the Orthodox Jews in Israel, who I'm telling you keep those commandments way better than all of us put together, then they would be saved. But they're not saved. Just like this man was not saved because they have sought it, salvation, as if it were by works, not by grace. That's why this, it's like the pendulum goes over here or it goes over there. 
It's like, by grace you've been saved, or all the works. But it's not on either one of those. It's here in the middle that says, because you love Jesus, if you love me, then you're going to do these things, and you won't be able to keep them all. You won't be able to um, be perfect without me. But I'm going to send you the Spirit. I'm going to have you help Him help you, empower you, so you can keep those commandments. But you will fail. But that's okay, because I got this. I did it for you. But it's because you love me. And in your obedience, then I manifest myself to you. Not in your obedience, now you become saved. This man loved money and wanted fire insurance. He loved money, but he said, okay, what do I got to be saved? I, I love my money, and, and I'll keep these things because then I can be saved. And God was saying, no, you got to get rid of that idol of money out of your life. So it wasn't about the commandments. It was about the heart, a desire to give all to Jesus. Kind of important there to note that distinction. Like I said, how many of you would witness that way? Using the commandments to show people, listen, what must I be to do, you know, do to be saved? Well, keep the commandments. Well, I, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I go to church. I do this. I do that. Oh, yeah, well, uh, are you living in sin? Are you practicing homosexuality? Are you, you know, the Ten Commandments were to reveal to them their shortcomings, that they needed Jesus. Now, the church will generally teach that today. I agree. That's good. But notice that what Jesus did not do was say, hey, all you got to do is just say a prayer. Say this prayer with me. I'll lead you in the sinner's prayer. And then you'll be in like Flynn. Right? Yeah, did not do that at all. You know, say a prayer, go live your life. Everything will be just fine. The sinner's prayer is a man-made thing. You never see that in Scripture. We hear things like isolated verses, these little sound bites we you know, take out of Scripture that say, you know, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Oh, there we go, there's the answer. So just call on the name of Jesus, now you're saved. You've got to take the whole package. Basically, what we have are, the Ten Commandments can be kind of summed up in two things, the love people commands and the love God commands. Um... Yeshua here listed all the love people commandments. But what he needed was, and like you said, he did not name them all. He needed the love God commands. And sometimes it's easy for us to do that. What's it mean to love God? We already talked about this. John told us, keep my commandments. So it's, they're just so united. You cannot separate faith and works. This is why James says, faith without works is dead. The faith by itself will not save you. The works by itself will not save you. But faith with works combined, that saves you. The church has tried to kind of separate those. So, if you are not a law keeper, what are you? A lawbreaker, right? 
And so we have to ask ourselves, do we have a desire to keep the commandments of God? Now again, you won't be able to perfectly, but hey, good news, God has given you a spirit so that he will be able to live in you and manifest himself through you. But if you're not a law keeper, then you're a law breaker. We're all law breakers in the sense that we all fail, but I'm talking about willful. Are you a willful law breaker? Only you can answer that. So, in essence, what you might be able to say is this. When you receive the Spirit, you might receive what you call a want-to Spirit. An ability-to Spirit. And that's what sets you apart from the rest of the world. Because that Spirit is going to be there to help you. He is the helper to give you the ability, to give you the desire and that's the tool that God has given us to be able to do these things. And the knowledge and understanding that, uh, of who He is, that He is Yeshua, God saves, so that when we do fail, like Paul said, the good I want to do, I don't do. That which is evil, I keep on doing. But He can say, who can rescue me from this body of death? <laughs> Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Um, Mark 16, verse 15, just about done here. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What I want you to see here is this. The implication is this. If you believe, what will you do? You're going to obey. Yeah. You're going to obey and be baptized. If you don't believe, you won't, be, you won't obey. He doesn't need to really come out and say it because it's implied in this. If you believe, you're just going to obey. So, in essence, Yeshua is teaching that obedience, or I should say belief, rather, produces obedience. Nobody, if you don't really believe it, you don't act on it. But if you believe it, you will act on it. But you've got to believe it first. That's why these things are so well connected. It's like if you really don't care about the Huskers and you go to a Husker game, you're going to sit there and maybe while everybody else is clapping, you'll kind of put your, you know, clap in there. But if you really, I mean, you're into this, then you're going to be cheering. You're up at because your actions reflect your belief. Do you really believe God's commandments have a blessing? Again, only you can answer that, but I'm telling you this. If you, you can say, oh, yes, 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 I do. But if you're not living it out willfully, trying to do that, then I'm going to tell you, you don't truly believe that. And let me say, tell you guys, I, I pray that prayer all the time. Lord, help me with my confusion, my unbelief. Like I said, I'm figuring this stuff out with you. A lot of these things I'm learning myself. I don't have all the answers. But I'm learning more all the time. God is manifesting himself to me. And he will you. That's a promise. So Yeshua taught a belief would produce obedience. Did Paul teach something differently? And obedient to what? 
Again, God defines what we're supposed to be obedient to. Not us, not the church, his word. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Paul says, imitate me? How can he say that? Because what he was doing is what was in his heart and what he was doing, what he was living out, failed at times, but what he was living out was imitating Christ. Therefore, he could say, imitate me. Why? Because I do what Christ taught me. I used to look at this and think, what, how arrogant would we have to be for you to say, guys, imitate me. Because I'm such this you know, great Christian guy and all of that. That's not what Paul is saying, that I'm such a great Christian guy. What Paul is saying is, do what I do. Because that's what Jesus did. I will fail. But you know what my heart is. Do that. If Paul had to do something different than Jesus, why would Paul teach this? He wouldn't. What I'm saying is this, though. We should also have a confidence in Jesus and his word and that it maybe isn't arrogance, but it can be a confidence of his promises. That we should be willing to stand up and all of us say, imitate me, because I know my heart and I'm trying to do the best I can to follow in Yeshua's footsteps. All right, I got three slides left. Uh, I got to keep rolling. Romans 2.5, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his faith. Ah, deeds. Oh, you pulled that one. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> it doesn't say faith. <laughs> yeah. You see, Modern day religion. <laughs> Modern day religion says Paul changed it all. Okay? He'll render to each one to his faith. It isn't. It's rendered to each one his deeds, what he has done. You see, there are rewards. There are rewards for following after God. Does he say he's going to render to our belief? Well, I believe this, or I believe... No. It's his works. Paul, by the way, is quoting the Psalms here. So again, he's, you know, uh, assuming the Old Testament is true, and certainly not then disagreeing with the Old Testament. For a guy who is saying that, you know, works don't matter and we don't need to keep the commandments of God, he sure seems to talk about it a lot. We don't know that because we always hear these isolated bites from about three or four other verses that people raise up as a banner to be free in Christ. And We're going to look at those. And write books about three yeah, exactly. Verse 7, eternal life to those who by patient continuance and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. 
So not once is he saying it's about belief, but rather obedience. No partiality between Jew and Greek, because we are the same with these rules, with the same rules. The problem is not with the Torah, the law of God. The problem is with the flesh of man. And in verse 12 of chapter 2, For as many as have sinned without law, the Gentiles will also perish without law. I want to talk a little more about this, so I'm going to stop there tonight. And just, again, to send you home, we're not talking about salvation. I'm jealous for you guys to know what God has shown me. I'm jealous for you to just have that manifestation of truth, not from some five-step program, but from a desire to keep God's commands. Test them in this to see if he doesn't pour out upon you. I'm not going to look down on you if you disagree with me, but I am going to ask you this. At least ask yourself, am I disagreeing with Brian or am I disagreeing with the Word? At least ask yourself that question. And as we continue to go through Galatians, next week I'm going to finish this one up. But then as we go through Galatians, we're going to touch on some verses that the church uses to say, oh no, you're free, you don't have to do that anymore. Romans will have a couple. Colossians is going to have one. But I'm telling you, every one of them has an answer that is consistent with Paul's, the rest of Paul's teaching. And you will see that. But for now, and we're going to really drive it home next week, because this is one presentation that I knew I wouldn't get done in one night. But to follow the theme of, did Paul teach something different than Jesus? And you're going to see that he didn't. And we'll wrap that, conclude that next week. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Uh, let it convict us and let it do what you've promised that it would do and not come back void. Lord, if I have said anything tonight that has not represented you accurately, let it just not be remembered and fall to the ground. I ask that you would let this truth just simmer in people's hearts. And if it's been misunderstood, even if I've said what is truth and Satan, the prince of this era, has tried to twist those words and make it sound something that's not biblical, Lord, straighten that out in the ears of the hearer so that they might know by grace we are saved. And it's because of that great gift we want to obey you. And though we know we can't in this flesh, we don't live by the flesh, we live by the Spirit. And for that too, we give you, grace, or give you honor and praise. And thanks. Amen.